stop the presses. Pull out the front page. Stand by for a replay. Yeah, it's those two guys from Milwaukee. Oh, those two guys from Milwaukee. Here we go again. It's those two guys from Milwaukee. Welcome to Unknown Orbits, the podcast in which two writers discuss everything science fiction from Gernsbach to Roddenberry. Welcome to episode 14 of Unknown Orbits, science fiction origins of the modern zombie myth. I'm Patrick Baird. And I'm Steve Reitze. Tonight we're going to diverge just a little bit from the science fiction path, but we've got just enough of a tenuous relationship to justify it, I think. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead is widely recognized as the invention of a modern myth, the zombie myth, which has exploded over the decades into a huge genre in movies and fiction. And I'd like to just point out a few things that I think were key in George Romero's development of Night of the Living Dead and subsequently the zombie myth itself. I'm instantly going to ask what year, because I got to think this through. 1967, that was the year that, I think it was made in 1967, released in 1968. So that's just a little bit outside of our Gernsbach to Roddenberry time frame. But what I'm going to be talking about in terms of the influences would be well inside of our established range. So George Romero, this is probably a familiar story to many of you, but George Romero was working as a uh, television producer in the Pittsburgh area. He produced uh, film segments for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Really? Yes. I don't know if you remember Mr. Rogers. He would have little film segments where they would take kids to go see a glass-blowing factory. Or there was one famous one that George Romero directed where Mr. Rogers had a appendectomy, I think, or a tonsillectomy or something like that. Wow. So he was a well established TV producer. He and his uh, co-workers decided to get together. They wanted to make a movie, and they wrote and directed and produced and starred in, in many cases, the movie Night of the Living Dead. So Romero himself has admitted, and I'll give you the quote, Well, I always say I stole the idea from Richard Matheson's novel, I Am Legend. That was vampire's to try to disguise my theft, I went with flesh eaters. That was George Romero with a BBC interview in 2005. And he's made similar comments in other interviews, acknowledging the fact that I Am Legend by Richard Matheson was a primary influence for that movie. And you can see it. For those of you who are not familiar with I Am Legend book, not the increasingly not so good adaptations of the book, especially the Will Smith version, which I think is pretty crummy. The ending let it down. The CGI zombies were terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh, the ending was terrible. That was a mangled movie. The original novel, I Am Legend, was written by Richard Matheson in 1954. I really loved the book. It's one of my favorite books by Richard Matheson. What it does, it's yet another, and this is something that we're going to definitely be talking about in future episodes, the post-apocalyptic end-of-the-world story where Richard Matheson, as far as he knows, is the only living human remaining after a plague sweeps the earth and either kills off most of the population and then reanimates them as vampires or infects the living 
who do not die but are infected and become vampires. So it's actually a vampire novel, but the conduct of the reanimated dead vampires is very, very reminiscent of George Romero's zombies. It's been a long time since I read the novel, but wasn't the Charlton Heston version in the 70s fairly close to the book? Yes and no. We can get to that. Let's talk about the book, and then we'll talk about the adaptations. One of them in particular is important. But the thing that I love about the book, and other critics have said the same thing, it's a brilliant depiction of the loneliness that the last man on earth would be experiencing, to be completely isolated from human contact for years, surrounded by these hostile vampires that come out at night and try to kill him. I really liked the day-to-day survival, which was built up pretty well in the novel, as I recall. Right. It's really beautifully written. That's one of the things I, I love about Richard Matheson, is that he can really nail human emotion and character as well as any writer in the field. And of course, in the novel, he goes around during the day killing the vampires. And in the course of doing that, he becomes a nightmare figure, like a boogeyman for the vampire community. And when he's finally captured at the end of the novel and is scheduled to be executed publicly by the vampires, it's an acknowledgement that he's this larger-than-life, godlike character. Hence the title. Right. I Am Legend. So it's a brilliant novel, and it's one of Matheson's best works. So the book was first adapted into a movie in 1964, The Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price, which was a pretty low-budget movie filmed in Italy, I believe. And it's a black-and-white movie. If you watch that movie, you will certainly see how that movie must have influenced George Romero. It's the whole idea of this man barricaded in his house, and there's all these shambling vampires around his house at night trying to get in, trying to, to get at him, and he's attacking them. And then during the day, he has to dispose of the bodies at a landfill. It's an effective little black-and-white, low-budget movie. I think, in my opinion, it's the best adaptation of the story, but none of the three adaptations, in my mind, are good, true-to-the-novel adaptations. Each one has certain elements of it that are admirable, but Last Man on Earth, black and white, shambling vampires trying to get into the house to kill the inhabitant. Watch it, and you'll clearly see that this was an influence on George Romero. And again, it came out in 1964, so it was in the theaters, it was in the drive-ins. He certainly would have had a chance to see it. The scientific aspect is that Vincent Price is a scientist, which is not from the novel, I don't believe. I don't recall that the character in the novel was a scientist. The main character in the novel, his father was a biologist, and he takes up his father's tools and books. And I don't remember that from the novel, but certainly in The Last Man on Earth, Vincent Price is trying to find a cure for the vampire plague. And at one point, and this is in the novel, he stumbles across a woman during the day, brings her home, and he realizes that she's infected with the curse. So he's trying to cure her. And then, of course, she winds up betraying him. So that's the science aspect of it, the idea. This was some sort of a biological plague, and 
Vincent Price, the scientist, is trying to find a cure for it. So that was a clear influence, an admitted influence by George Romero on Night of the Living Dead. Now, another one that he hasn't mentioned, but that I picked up on is The Birds. Many of you probably remember the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds, starring Tippi Hendren. Don't remember Tippi Hendren becoming a zombie, though. No, but if you were to rewatch that movie, the final act of the movie is they're all barricaded inside the house. Ah. They literally board up the windows, and the birds are trying to get in. And that is very, very reminiscent of the scenes at the farmhouse in the Night of the Living Dead where they're boarding up the windows and the undead are trying to get in. That's an exact analog. The birds are the zombies. And you may not know that The Birds was based on a story by Daphne du Maurier, who is not a science fiction writer, but she did write a number of fantasy-tinged stories and slightly horror-tinged stories over the years. And the story The Birds, which was published in 1952, is somewhat different from the book. In the book, it's a farmer and his family who are kind of living out in the country and they're attacked by the birds and they experience it. And again, it's that element of they have to board up the house at night because at night the birds are attacking and trying to get in. And then for whatever reason, they don't attack during the day. So that was an element that was present in Dawn of the Dead. And again, the movie The Birds came out in 1963 so it's within the time frame where it would have been available in the theaters where George Romero and some of his co-writers may have seen it. And that whole element of barricading yourself inside the house at night to hold off an assault from outside. That story you mentioned by the, was a French writer? I think she was American, Daphne du Maurier. That story, I think, done as a television show would be great. Like the farmer could be like Eddie Elbert, but instead of birds, you have tumbleweeds <laughs> oh my god why didn't we i have to add that i have to add the evil tumbleweeds episode of the outer limits to my list of possible influences on george romero he might have watched that episode and thought oh you know it'd be more scary than evil tumbleweeds the reanimated dead that eat people's flesh I just wanted to get back a little of my own over the fact that you hated that episode. I didn't hate it. I just thought that evil tumbleweeds is really stupid. Well, okay. You make me accept that it was a stupid. But you know what? You're right. Uh, based on my very loose criteria of that George Romero might possibly have seen <laughs> some of these things and been influenced by them, the evil tumbleweeds episode of The uh, Outer Limits is now on the list of potential influences on Night of the Living Dead. Thank you for that contribution. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure that if George Romero saw it, he was probably thinking, well, that's the wrong way to do it. <laughs> What's more scary than evil tumbleweeds? I have to come up with something better. And moving on, our next potential influence for Night of the Living Dead is the 1959 science fiction B-movie, Invisible Invaders. This is a pretty crummy movie starring the redoubtable John Agar, who graced many, many really bad horror and science fiction movies in the 1950s and 1960s. He was almost always an indicator of poor quality. I saw the movie. The fight scenes are hilarious. Yes. It's basically the premise of the movie is that these invisible aliens have come to Earth and they're occupying the bodies of the dead. 
and reanimating them, starting out with the wonderful John Carradine, who has this wonderful scene at the beginning. He's a scientist. They kill him somehow. They bring him back to life, and he's knocking on the door of this other scientist, and he's got the ghoul makeup on. The ghoul makeup is the dark circles under the eyes and the white makeup on the face and, you know, makes you look dead or unworldly or whatever. Well, he has that naturally. Uh, yeah, they didn't have to do much with John Carradine. And he has his wonderful John Carradine voice. You have 24 hours to warn the world of our invasion. And it's great. It's just, he makes the movie sparkle when he's in it. I'm probably thinking of another movie because I remember a fight scene with an invisible alien where the actor has to go, Aah! Oh, no, 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 that's, that, that's, that's, that is not. That's a different movie. So this is the weird thing about the movie. The aliens themselves are invisible, but they inhabit the bodies of the dead. And then they're not invisible because they're the walking dead and they're shuffling around. And again, it's this familiar trope of they're all holed up in a bunker and outside the bunker, the shambling dead are wandering around trying to get in. So it fits that trope all together. And the shambling dead in this movie, again, you watch it and you're like, well, that looks exactly like Night of the Living Dead. The makeup is similar. The shuffling, shambling, moving around is similar. And that movie was actually, it was released originally in 1959, but it was re-released numerous times on double bills at drive-in. Like the Southern B circuit. Right. So this was a common thing where they would re-release a movie. Let's say that it came out originally in 1959 as, as the A movie on a double bill and then a year later two years later they would re-release it as the b movie on a double bill with a new movie and that happened several times so it was widely circulating in theaters and driving theaters throughout the early 1960s and then it was on television so then it was and it was a very popular item because it was a bad movie it was very cheap so i'm sure all the uhf stations played it pretty regularly so again we had abundant opportunity for George Romero to have watched it and picked up the zombie motif from that movie. And again, you know, it has the science fiction element of the invading aliens, reanimating the dead. And of course, they have to come up with some scientific trick to destroy the zombies. And in in this case, they come up with a sonic weapon that they pointed at the alien and it, it turns them into goo. So very stereotypical, but it had that science fiction element. And I believe if you watch it, just like if you watch Last Man on Earth, you'll see the similarities. It's it's very clear. So those are the movies and the books, the stories that influenced, I believe, the original Night of the Living Dead. There is one other extremely obvious and acknowledged influence on zombie movies, and that is Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. That's interesting. I mean, I immediately see the comparison. Well, uh, I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but you're right. It's the plants are the zombies. It's that, but there's another aspect too. So those of you who are not familiar with Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, some sort of meteor shower or... Uh, yeah, I think it was a shower. A meteor shower turns most of the people on Earth blind. And it also animates these, these like carnivorous plants called the Triffids, which are like seven feet tall animated plants that walk and they have stingers that can sting people and kill them. We should say the reason the plants existed was because they were like genetically engineered or something to create oil. 
Yeah, they were uh, creation in the laboratory, and they're unleashed by the uh, the day of the Triffids thing. So you have hordes of humans shuffling around blind and panicked, and anytime they can find a sighted person, they capture them and enslave them and make them do their bidding to help them travel around and find food and you know do everything they can't do because they're blind. So it has that zombie-like element to it. But that's not the main thing. The main thing that came out of Day of the Triffids is at the beginning of the novel, the main character in the novel is, I don't remember if he was in a car accident or had some disease or something, but he was in a coma. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar to you. I will say now, I don't remember the novel. I'm remembering the first British, I think it was a miniseries. Well, there that, was a movie. Was there was the movie adaptation. Or maybe I'm like thinking around of the movie, 1960. but not the novel. Right. There could be differences. That I'm not sure of. But at any rate, tell me if this sounds familiar. He's in a coma when all of this happens. And he wakes up alone in a hospital bed in an abandoned hospital, gets out of bed and finds that the world has descended into madness. If that sounds familiar it's because not only was that stolen directly by danny boyle director of 28 days later did he acknowledge that he did danny boyle has acknowledged that he did steal that from day of the triffids so the main character in 28 days later again he's in a coma wakes up hospital's empty walks out onto the street the streets are empty and then sooner or later he runs into the running zombies of that movie and then it was also stolen uh, probably from Danny Boyle by The Walking Dead, the zombie TV show, where the sheriff character is in a car accident. No, he's, he's shot by, uh, by criminals. And again, he wakes up in a hospital and all of the doctors and nurses are gone and there's blood all over the walls and there's zombies chained up behind a door and a big written in blood dead inside or something like that. Which, by the way, you got to admit, is a great way of jumping into the action, skipping oh, yeah. over all the boring I mean, stuff. There's a reason why two different people stole the idea from John Wyndham, because it's a great idea. It's a great way to open a novel. So that's another contribution to the zombie mythos by science fiction writers. Uh, John Wyndham's personal favorite of mine. I like a lot of the stuff that he's done. But those are the specific examples that I came up with. Certainly, you know, there's a lot of zombie stories that do have scientific elements there's always trying to find a cure they're trying to find a reason for why the disease happened one of my favorite moments in the walking dead tv show which takes place in georgia they go to atlanta and they break into the center for disease control buildings and they find this lone scientist locked up in the basement of the cdc and he's figured out that everybody who dies turns into a zombie. And at this point, the characters in the show don't know that. They think it's only transmitted by a bite. And this guy's figured out that, no, if you die, no matter how you die, you come back as a zombie. And he's basically ready to commit suicide because he knows the situation is hopeless. And it's one of my favorite parts of that show. That's the science aspect of it. And then from there, the show kind of abandons any pretense of science for the most part. But I think that Technically, you probably wouldn't say that a zombie movie is a science fiction movie, but it could be if the science aspect of it becomes important enough. Well, certainly modern science fiction encompasses a lot. I'm a little older school in that I acknowledge Star Wars as fantasy. Yeah, it's a space opera. Yeah. So 
I think that at least the idea of zombies, it almost always has a scientific basis. It's not some supernatural power. It's always a, a virus of some kind that infects the population and reanimates the dead. So to me, it touches on science fiction. It isn't directly science fiction, but it, it has enough science fiction elements in it to make it better than just an average horror story. And I think the idea of a virus going through the population and creating the undead is terrifying. More terrifying than a more fantastical idea like evil spirits have risen to take hold of the dead because that's more fantastical, that's less believable. But as we've all lived through COVID, I think we've all had a taste of what a pandemic is like and how it can be disruptive. And I think that makes what any good science fiction story will do is real life events occur and they suddenly make science fiction seem more plausible and more believable and more scary in some cases. So you're talking about modern zombies who are created by a virus. By definition, that would be science fiction. I think so. I think maybe the attitude that zombies are horror would come from earlier. The concept of a zombie goes back to the 30s, at least. Oh, yeah. But those zombies were different. Those were zombies created by witch doctors. That that was a supernatural zombie. Right. You've got the movie White Zombie, 1931, with Bela Lugosi. I Married a Zombie. Yes, you have uh, I Walked with a Zombie. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Well, now you're winning. So there, there have been zombie movies throughout the 19th. And, and really, I think the source of all of that was I there was a book, and I don't remember the name of it, by an author named Seabrook who traveled to Haiti and wrote about the zombies of Haiti. And I think that's what kind of popularized the idea of the zombie in the public imagination. I think that came out in the 1920s. So White Zombie came out of that, and then that may have influenced future movies. Val Luton's Jacques Tourneur, the great horror director, I Walked with a Zombie in uh, 1943, I think, was a terrific zombie movie. And then there were other movies throughout the years in the 1950s, but they were always the Caribbean-type zombies where they're reanimated by a witch doctor. And we know now, by an actual case in the 1970s of a guy who recovered, that the witch doctor zombies were, were drugged, that yeah. the witch doctor liked a guy, and he would drug him, he would appear dead, he'd yeah. dig him up. Yeah, that's widely accepted as what the Caribbean zombies really were, were unfortunate persons who were poisoned, drugged by a so-called witch doctor to be enslaved and punished or whatever. But actually, George Romero originally, and you can still see elements of it in the movie, didn't call them zombies, he called them ghouls. Now, that's a whole nother legend that goes back a long time. The legend of the ghoul, who is a creature that haunts the crypts of the dead and eats the flesh of the dead. There was actually an, an old Boris Karloff movie in the 1933 called The Ghoul, which was filmed in Britain. And then you look at the old EC comics, which I'm thinking possibly might have also influenced George Romero, because he went on to with Stephen King to make the EC Comics-flavored Creepshow movies. They had the walking dead. The reanimated dead was a common theme in those EC Comics. And they weren't necessarily flesh eaters. And really, that was the real innovation that he brought in. I don't think there's any precedence for that, that he made his undead flesh eaters. Yeah, there's no question that he massaged the concept into something different and new. Right. 
And he's admitted that people ask him, well, why did you do that? And he says, I don't know. It just sounded like a good idea at the time, you know. <laughs> it bothers me that such a fundamental and good detail was casual. Right. So rounding back here, we did stretch our boundaries of the show a little bit today. But I think it was, I think we were able to have a, an interesting discussion and point to sources in the literature and in the movies that helped to develop the modern zombie concept. And I think that subsequent adaptations over the years have kind of stayed true to the science fiction element. It's always some government project gone wrong, something escaped from a lab. That's almost universal now. Almost as universal a part of the zombie legend as having to shoot him in the head to kill him and so forth. So uh, do you have any further thoughts? I think it's important to recognize which doctor zombies are separate from current zombies. Right. If current zombies had a different name, they well, weren't I called think, zombies, I think it would be more accepted yes, as, as science if they would have, If they would have been what George Romero called them, if they would have been named ghouls. But then again, you can't make a witch doctor zombie movie anymore due to the racial aspects of it. You know, I think that's problematic. So that was doomed to die. That genre of movie was doomed to die anyway. And I think what Romero did is he stole the name. He didn't steal it. Other people put it on there and created a whole new modern myth, a scientific myth, if you will. He replaced the magic sorcery of the Caribbean zombie with a scientific version that, as I said before, I think is much more terrifying than the hokey old witch doctor version. I think it's interesting that it's basically the only monster movie that is not singular. It's by the group. You don't have movies about a single zombie. Good point. And like I Walked With a Zombie, that great movie by Val Luton had one zombie in it. I didn't. What, what, he was a chemical zombie. I mean, he was a, was he a witch doctor he zombie? Was a, he was a witch doctor okay. zombie, yes. It seems to me that the modern zombie movie has a lot in common with the old creature movies where you have an invasion of rats or rabid dogs or rabbits or something. Yes. Remember the, uh, the killer animals rage of the 1970s after Jaws was a smash hit? You had Frogs. That was a movie where killer frogs took over, which was a fun movie. They, they had s- Yes, a snake movie. You had Orca, which was about a killer whale. You had... Night of the Grizzly, about a giant grizzly bear. The kid with the psychic control over rats. Yeah, the Ben. Yeah. That one actually predated Jaws. Did it? Okay. But yeah, or Piranha, the Piranha movies. We love the Piranha movies, don't we? <laughs> yes. Uh, especially Piranha 3D, 3DD. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a force of nature is attacking mankind. And that's what zombies are, really, because they come from a disease. So they transformed into a force of nature that is trying to undermine civilization and destroy humans. There was a great series in the 1970s, like five-episode BBC production, and it's killing me. I can't remember the title of it. It was about animal attacks, and the series' name was something like Creatures or something, Mm -hmm. and every episode was different. Attacked by rats, attacked by, I don't remember, squirrels. Are rats scary anymore? Are people scared of rats? I mean, yeah, if you saw one in your kitchen, I'm sure you'd be scared of it but you know in the old days a rat would crawl around and you know the woman in the movie would scream and the rat would look disinterested yeah i mean is that scary anymore i don't think it is maybe a thousand rats cannibalistic rats yeah that's probably scary 
what is generally considered the best radio drama of all time, starring Vincent Price, was about a ghost ship that drifted around filled with rats. And it grounds on an island where a lighthouse is. You have the three lighthouse keepers, and they are being besieged by tens of thousands of rats all night long. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. (laughs) A small group of people locked inside a building being besieged from outside by hordes of murderous entities. Uh, that there you uh, go. something tells me we just talked about that. Yes. So maybe George Romero didn't, and, uh, and he didn't. I mean, like I said, you could see that in the movie The Birds. It was in the movie Invisible Invaders. It was in Last Man on Earth. So that trope was adapted by him. But the beauty of Night of the Living Dead, though, what he did that transcended it above your average B movie was that he locked the people in the house. And then the people in the house were fighting with each other. So you had this additional dynamic of not only the threat from outside coming at them, but the threat from within, you can extend it and say it's like a microcosm of society where there's a threat to the world, but people can't defeat the threat because they're too busy fighting with each other. Part of that is also like in that Lighthouse radio show, which I wish I could remember. Part of it is kind of ringing in the changes. You got a group of people, so you want someone who wants to give up. You got someone who wants to make a deal with whatever the force is outside. Right. That kind of thing. Well, in Night of the Living Dead, you got the basement versus the upstairs people. The husband and his wife and his infected daughter want to lock themselves down in the basement and take some of the supplies with them. And the lead character and the teenagers want to stay upstairs because they have more options if they're upstairs um, and might be able to escape. You know, there's a basic conflict there, and it's a conflict over resources to some degree. So to me, that was one of the brilliant things that Romero put into that movie that elevated it above just an ordinary movie about cannibalistic undead. I was going to say earlier, we can't ding him because he didn't invent absolutely everything out of whole cloth. Creativity no. is just kind it. of combining elements. Yeah, he admits that he based it on I Am Legend, and whether he remembers some of these other things or not doesn't really matter. I'm sure any of us who are writers will incorporate something into our stories that we vaguely remembered or didn't quite remember from something we read or, or saw previously. But the creativity of taking that element and making it fresh and new or doing something different with it, to me, that makes for really good art, in my opinion. And certainly Night of the Living Dead is great art for everything that it stands for and everything that it did. Any other thoughts on the scientific basis of zombies? No, I think that about wraps it up. Okay. Well, that's it for episode 14. Please tune in next week for another journey into the golden age of science fiction. I'm Patrick Baird. And I'm Steve Reitze. Keep watching the stars. That's all for today. Pat and I thank you for listening and invite you to come back for the next episode of Unknown Orbits. Two guys from Milwaukee.